Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. So this week, I'm going to talk about what I promised to talk about from the last two weeks. Answer a few questions I received, basically around how do credit card accounts keep getting used even after a card or multiple cards were canceled due to fraud? This is a question that has come up to me several times in the last few weeks, like just in an abnormal amount. And I have some theories on why, but I'll get into that in a minute. First, I just want to thank everyone for checking in on me and wishing me well. I sometimes hesitate to say anything personal on the podcast. I don't know. It's it's more about fraud, less about me. But I also like to be honest and transparent. And especially because I think my voice last week sounded weird and I probably look more than out of it. I don't totally remember all that I said last week on the podcast. I've heard from a few of you that you liked it. So I'm <laughs> I've also heard that some of you guys have found some new podcasts from that episode and that makes me happy. I love supporting other content creators when I can and especially the ones that I feel are really putting together some great content. And there's so many different angles to fraud and so many different tangents that you can go and different perspectives that there needs to be more than one voice. So I'm grateful for that. I did hear that Jack Reciter is taking a few months off. So for Dark Dark Diaries, I truthfully, as I said on last week's podcast, I uh, don't really listen to him as much as I used to. I'm sorry. So I didn't know that, but I am feeling much better. I'm still a little tired, but that's partially because I've been working a lot, trying to catch up. Uh, was up to like one in the morning yesterday working on something. So I know it's not going to help me get better, but I am trying to rest when I can. Ish. <laughs> I think my husband has given up on me over the last or the 16 years we've been together, but he still gives me that look when he thinks that I need to rest. The other day I was trying to tell him I was resting, but I was actually, I think I was actually writing the outline for this podcast episode on, I was laying on my side hoping he couldn't see me right. Anyway. It's not important. So the way that this question, going back to the main reason for today's episode, the reason why this question, I guess I should say the people that this question have come from in different parts of my life. The first one was my personal life where a dental hygienist actually at the dentist a couple of weeks ago asked me what I did. And I'm always like, oh, geez, because it's just, it's not as easy as saying I'm a nurse or I'm a teacher. And I said, well, you know, I help online companies prevent credit card fraud and identity theft. And I have a podcast and I I may not have mentioned the podcast. I don't remember. And she said, oh, then you're the person I need to talk to. And I'm like, wait, I'm here to see you. I can't provide them for you to talk to. But basically, she said that her debit card has been stolen, even though she's gotten a new one for three times, three different times. And she said, I haven't even linked it to any online accounts, which you guys know drives me crazy. Because that's not how you get your credit card stolen. But I also understand why people say that. So I was kind with her and didn't go down that rabbit hole. But I did ask her a few questions like, did you use the card at the same places? The same gas station, the same restaurant, same ATM, 
She's like, I'm not sure. I said, well, maybe check your bank statement during those times with each of those cards and see if there's something that overlaps. Could be a card skimmer. Could be, unfortunately, an employee that's taking pictures of your card front and back. Or it could be that one of those companies has malware on their POS. And that's probably the most likely. But she said that her husband was getting frustrated with her. I'm like, it's not your fault. Here's how I would narrow it down. And maybe you can help... small business realize that they're the point of compromise. But there's also a lot of other ways that cards can be reused. And then that brought me to, I think it was just a couple days later, I received a text from someone in the industry who uh, had received a Slack message from a coworker asking about this. And um, as you guys know, and I actually really love this, that I feel like whenever people don't know the answer to something random, they're like, oh, Carice probably and if I don't, then I'm like, really want to go find the answer. And I usually know who does. But I feel like I'm the queen of randomness. And that makes sense because one of my friends from long ago, who actually just passed away a few years or a few months ago, and it's pretty recently, he used to always call me random Reese. I think that maybe that's why I like the random things. I don't know. Or that's probably why he called me that because I always have something random to say. But yeah, so she sent me this screenshot of a Slack message from one of her coworkers and she was like, do you have any idea about this? And I was like, oh yeah, it could be business. So here was um, part of the Slack message. So somebody said, in addition to having another child, we learned over New Year's that one of my wife's, I'll just say credit cards, I'm not going to say what bank, accounts had been compromised. And while their fraud department detected the fraud and acted relatively quickly, they'd been monitoring the account for about a month. When they issued new credit card numbers for that account, they issued new credit card numbers three times. The fraud kept happening. So what's going on? So basically the fraud team had been monitoring the account for a month because they had had to reissue her card three times. Every time they issued a card, then it got compromised again and used for fraud. And then on top of that, there were two merchants later that week or the week after that reached out to me and asked the same thing. They said that one of them actually had like an escalated customer service call that came and because the customer was accusing them of fraud because the customer had just gotten a new, well, the victim had just gotten a new credit card number from their bank because the first credit card number was fraudulent wasn't used on this merchant account at all but because they'd maybe had the new card for about a week and it was used on this merchant's website they were accusing that merchant of fraud like they stole their credit card number so all of these things together one's a fraud analyst always a fraud analyst with the trend analysis and everything i'm like something's going on and so i like could be coincidental. I do think that the dental hygienist with her debit card is probably something local, but these other ones are not. And a lot of these things aren't new at all, but we're definitely seeing just a lot more like creative fraudsters who are going back to old school tactics or who are branching out, or there's just a whole lot more fraudsters that are, you know, taking different kinds of tutorials. Who knows? I don't think this is necessarily attached to the very large, coordinated and sophisticated fraud ring that Shoshana Marini and I talked about back in December, which we dubbed the master manipulators. That was mostly because one of the large merchants who had seen them first called them the manipulators. And Shoshana thought that would be a little more dramatic. And I agree with her. So I don't think it's related to that or anything else, but could be partially because there's a bank 
in particular may have changed one of their processes. That's just my hypothesis. So anyway, there's several reasons why or how that canceled cards can be reused for fraud once they're reissued. So I'll kind of go through them. So some are commonly known, right? But when I did a quick Google search about this, the most common ways that this happens isn't well known. The things that people were saying on Google were just very standard. It was like, check and make sure there isn't a card skimmer or this and that. And it's, there's actually some ways that people may not know. And this is where my payments background comes in really handy. It comes in handy a lot for like random diagnostic questions that people throw at me. But yeah, so I hadn't seen this listed anywhere. So I thought it might be a good podcast episode. Also, it seems like if it's happening, if I've had what, five or six people reach out to me about this in the last month, probably happening a lot more places and whether you're a merchant or an issuing bank I, or anywhere in between i think this is important information if you haven't known about it before so the first thing i'd ask if a cardholder calls or just if you this has happened to you can you find a common point of compromise on all cards like i asked the dental hygienist especially if they're mostly you're mostly doing in-person transactions this is where that is probably the most common thing this is the only one where i think really it could be a common put a compromise, but the reasons why it could be skimmers, like I said, gas stations at ATMs. Those don't happen as often, but they still happen and they're very cheap to buy on various websites and especially low-level criminals often feeding the drug habit. That's kind of an easy way to do it. I mean, I do know that more and more gas stations are trying to have video cameras on the pumps or have the sticker, like the seal or anything like that, but they still happen. Obviously, it can also be malware on a POS where I shared this story a few weeks ago, but the only federal case that I've testified in so far anyway for fraud was really stemmed from malware on a POS system at a neighborhood pizza place in Seattle that was a pretty upscale neighborhood. And the Seattle police got involved. They brought in the U.S. Secret Service, et cetera, and they ended up tracing who installed the malware, who was getting the card numbers, who he was selling it to, to then sell to a Biggie Smalls rat impersonator in California. That's what made the case so fun for me. And actually, he just got released from prison a few months ago. I've told my producer I would love to do an interview with him, but I think, yeah, I want to wait a little bit because I'd like to be able to do more research and be able to talk to the people who also did the investigation and all that. And that's just going to take time to do more of like an in-depth. But I do still know the Secret Service agent that was involved and the detective and the USDA. So you can look forward to that hopefully in the near-ish future. That's something that I really hope to do sometime, but I take because rabbit holes I go down. I hope that it's okay. So if you've been listening for a while, you're very used to it. Anyway, it's fairly common where smaller businesses don't always have antivirus or they have the same default password for their POS system that accepts credit cards, you know, that their credit card system is matched up to. That is the default system for the credit card company or just things like that where it just isn't as secure. So if you're looking at your card statement or if, you know, customers are in their card statement and they're like, oh, on all three card numbers, I went to this restaurant or this 
store, that could be the issue. I definitely wouldn't walk in and accuse them, but maybe just say, hey, I don't know if anyone's told you this before, but this is happening. You might want to check with your IT consultant or whoever they work with for security to double check or contact your POS company. And then also this is, I almost feel like sometimes this one is a myth. It's not, but it just, this is the one that I hear a lot of people say, oh yeah, I haven't thought of it. I've never seen it, but that doesn't mean anything. And this is especially in the U.S. because we still give our credit cards to people and then they walk away. Whereas, you know, when I travel to even Canada or Europe, they'll almost always bring a credit card terminal to your table at the restaurant and you put it in and then you enter in the tip there. They're not going to the back to swipe the card, but it does still happen quite a bit in the U.S. And I think it does in other countries too. So obviously fast food restaurants or restaurants or anywhere where somebody's going to walk away with your card for a few minutes. They could even at the doctor's office, right? They can take a picture front and back or they could have their own skimmer. And I do know some people that I have heard, you know, especially with card skimmers and things like that, um, doctor's offices or at restaurants where, you know, they're not making a lot and somebody offers them a way to make a little more. So those are things to be aware of. I don't truly know any statistics on how often any three, any of those three things happen, but they are ways that canceled cards can then get the new card, right? Because you get the new card and you still go back to that same restaurant. You still go back to that same place and they get your new card number and then it's stolen and then the cycle repeats itself. But I think that with just the fact that so many people, the issue that or the reason why so many people are, at least in my life, are asking this question has to do with a few other reasons. Sometimes Fraudsters sell or give away lists of cards that have been closed. Like they'll keep those lists. You'd think that they're dead, but they're not. Whether card testing didn't work or there's already been fraud committed on it. So card testing didn't work because it was, you know, canceled due to fraud already or it was canceled due to fraud and they've exhausted that card. But they'll keep those and they'll sell them at a discounted rate. They're just kind of garbage lists, but there's things that they can do to essentially recycle them. So there's a few ways for them to monetize these lists to gain the new card number for the same account. So the first one is a targeted phishing call. I actually had this happen to me a couple of years ago. I think I shared it on either the previous podcast or this one, but basically my card was compromised. And then a week or two later, after I'd gotten my new card and everything, I received a call that said it was from my bank. It was on my phone, call ID, it's my bank. Okay, I answer it. First, they said my bank's name wrong. So that was like my first clue. There were a lot of clues but that I would catch, but I don't think everyone else would, obviously. And they said, you know, they were calling from the bank and they know that my card was recently compromised. And they said, we just wanted to verify that you got the new card number and that it's working fine. And I'm like, oh, yeah. They're like, but first we need to verify your account number. And I said, the card number or the account number? And I was a little suspicious, but not totally. Because again, it said my bank on there. And uh, they said, no, your bank account number. And I go, you should have that. You're calling me. That should be you. And then they said it again. And I said, which account number do you want? And they said, all of them. And I was like, okay, oh, I'm just going to start messing with you. And I said, I will call you back at the number and she got very defensive and I said if you really are the fraud department you understand why I'm saying that I need to call you back and if you're not I said something else of what they could do but we just will leave it at that that's once I know you're a fraudster I'm not gonna be nice anymore I've heard of other cases where they're calling just to verify that you got the new card number and then asking you to repeat the new card number back oh and what's the expiration oh and the last just oh yep that's exactly what we have great have a nice day now we have your new card number on that same account that's one way of it another way is that you may have malware or a keylogger on your device 
that's something I've talked about quite a bit last year, especially I know when Ellie Dominance was on from Q6 Cyber, which was quite a while ago, probably in the earlier episodes of Fraudology, but he talked a lot about, and it's still happening now, there's so many malwares out there, especially coming from Eastern Europe, where they'll It'll track everything. Anytime you go to a login page, everything about your session data, not just the username and password that you enter, but everything about the session data that you do in that login is being sent to them. So your device ID, your browser, you know, version, your all of those things so that they can use an emulator. Similarly, there are some malware that does key logging. And so it will log every single thing that you type. And obviously, they'll flag their system for any time you're entering a 16-digit number. So that's another way that if your device is infected with some kind of a malware and you're using your card online, then once you get the new card, they're going to get that number too and compromise it. And then the cycle goes on. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe. Without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. So then we get to a math equation where the fraudsters who are good at math, this is the one they're good at. And this is something that actually Alexander Hall talked about, I think, when I first sent him on, which also was an early fraudology episode. He called it card cracking. And that's really what they call it on the other side of the fence of the fraud vents. But basically, every credit card number has to be, it has to fit into a certain equation. I think I've talked about this before. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the Montan algorithm. It's also called the Loon algorithm, which is L-U-H-N. I've always said Loon. I know other people say Lun. I don't know. But it's every credit card has to have that. And there's this whole website that I found. And now I can't remember if I flagged it or not. And within those card numbers, each card 
specific number has a different purpose. For instance, there's the major industry identifier. So obviously cards that start with a four, our Visa, cards that start with a five, our MasterCard, cards that start with a three, our Amex, sixth is often Discover, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, you know, the first one, right? So that's how you identify what type of card it is. Then you've got the bin number. Other people call it the issuer identifier identification number, but I've always known it as the bank identification number. It's the first six digits, right? Visa will start with a four and then whatever the bank is. And then a lot of banks have more than one bin uh, because they have different types of cards, right? They have a rewards card that's going to have a different bin than their standard credit card. Or if they have a a higher tier card versus a lower tier, you know, subprime card, they're all going to have different bins. And that's why Visa MasterCard started doing eight digit bins last year. But I really haven't heard anything about that. I've been Meaning to ask a payments friend of mine about that if that's actually happening, because it'd be very important for merchants to know that. But then again, heart brands have decided that merchants don't need to know bin. However, all the fraudsters have them. So anyway, that's again another rabbit <laughs> down. So basically what I'm trying to say is every credit card, there's a finite number of card numbers within 16 digits, especially when the first six have to be from your bank. And then we're moving on to like the mathematics behind the card numbering. So in a typical 16 digit card number, the first 15 digits are determined by the issuing bank. The last digit is called the check digit. And that's mathematically determined based on all the other digits. So that's where the mod 10 and the Luna algorithm come through. I'm going to put a link to the article in the show notes that goes into the exact math of exactly how it works. And how basically in order for a card number to be a legitimate card number, it has to pass the Luna algorithm. And basically you do this math thing where you add this one plus this one plus that one minus that divided by that, et cetera. And then that's how you get what the check digit should be. And then that it's a regular card. So that's why a lot of credit card terminals, if it's the spoofed card or it doesn't work or it's like a test card, for instance, they'll know it because it doesn't pass the Luna algorithm. I know I'm dangerously getting close to nerding out even for this podcast, but so it's used in a lot of different ways, actually, for other types of like even Canadian social security numbers or social insurance numbers are within the Loon algorithm, as are Israel ID numbers and Greek social security numbers. So anyway, every card, no matter who it comes from, has to pass the Loon algorithm, has to be added up to a certain doing this math equation, which, again, I'm not going to go through. It will be so confusing to explain in an audio podcast because you have to like take every other number and you have to do this and that anyway it's a whole thing but it has to pass that so there's all these parameters right and then most issuers have their own algorithm within that so that's where i'm getting at where there are people who have figured out the math there was a wired article from a few years ago where this guy just asked 10 of his friends to send them their new or old amex i think like the new and the old amex card number And just between 10 friends, he was able to figure out, oh, this is a very easy math equation. I can, I bet I can guess what your next card number is. So he had his friends like, hey, say that one was stolen and then get another one. And sure enough, it was the same number or the number he picked. That works with a lot of banks. And fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of fraudsters don't really know that. But there are several that do. And so they'll buy these super cheap lists of stolen card numbers that have been canceled and run it through the algorithm. And based on the bin, they know what the bank own algorithm is to fit within the loan algorithm. I really hope I didn't lose anyone there, but it's called card cracking. There's also even like some tools that you can purchase to do it for you. Isn't that nice? 
there's somebody who built a $10 tool to be able to guess what the next card is going to be. And as far as expiration date and CVV, not every bank actually requires those to match in order for a card to be authorized. But also, if you have enough data, you can guess when that card was reissued because you know when the last card was canceled and you can then know how long the bank, like I think my bank, it's six years, right? Other banks, it's four years. It depends on which card I'm talking about, but you can guess the expiration date and usually the CVV as well. So it's not that complicated. And I know that some banks have put in more, a little bit more work into it to use different algorithms with it just to try to strip it up, but not all of them do. And this unfortunately can happen. So all of this is to say, if you get your card stolen, you get another one, your canceled card number is on a list somewhere or somebody has it because they used it last time or they sold it to someone else in the garbage list. That's how, that's one way that your card can now be reused once you have a new card because that fraudster knows your new card number before you do. In some cases, people have reported, and not recently, this isn't one recent, but I've definitely heard of it before where people are getting their card stolen and they're like, I haven't even activated it yet or it hadn't even come in the mail yet. And it's usually because of this or the next reason. <laughs> so, um, but there's another way that card numbers, stolen card numbers or canceled card numbers, the newer card number can be known to fraudsters. And that is basically using our own tools against us. Uh, if you're not a recurring merchant, if you don't work with a recurring merchant or you know, you know that system or you know, you're not in payments, you may not have heard of Account Updater. This is something that I know very well. I actually uh, worked on a project for a little over a year for a startup that was building a alternative to Account Updater that would actually allow issuers and merchants to talk to each other, which I really thought was cool for so many reasons. One, because I was able to kind of broker some UN peace agreements to go, okay, the issuers want this from the merchants directly because they're not getting it from the card brands. And the merchants, we just want things like cardholder name and other things like that from the bank that would be very helpful for fraud and for other things. So we created this. That was the way that we were able to get so many big issuers to sign up for this product because they wanted to know when their card was changed, right? So they just wanted to know from people, hey, can you just let me know if somebody took off my card and replaced it with something else? So basically, like if you're, I'm just going to use broad card brands, not specific banks. If your Amex card was on file with either a subscription merchant or a merchant that you use all the time, Amazon or Walmart or wherever, Target, wherever it is. The issuing bank wanted to know when you took Amex off and when you replaced it with Visa or MasterCard so that they could then send you prompts like, hey, you know, if you spend this much money on this card at this merchant, we'll give you five times your points or whatever it is because they all want to be top of wallet. So that's why I know about it. But basically, unfortunately, that tool was never finalized. I definitely did all the product plans and a lot of other things for it, but for various reasons, it did not happen. Uh, various reasons outside of my control, but it was pretty cool. I learned a lot. But anyway, so we're still using the old school account updater, which has some flaws and those can be exploited. So essentially, their fraudulent merchants can sign up for merchant accounts. Now, granted, there are underwriting teams, there's KYC processes, there's so many things. And I know that most of the payment processors out there do a really good job at identifying fraudulent merchants. Uh, unfortunately, you know, especially because you can now just sign up for a merchant account online. I mean, I do know that a lot of those companies, those payment facilitators and PSPs also do their best to do due diligence. And they have a lot of machine learning and models and all that to try to catch 
merchants like this or that will have suspicious behavior as soon as they get in the counter, even after they've had it for a little while. But there are also some shady payment processors out there that don't always look at those things or they're processors outside of the U.S. So anyway, any merchant who has a merchant account can sign up for account updater. It's typically merchants that have subscription business models. But it's easy for a fraudulent merchant to say, oh, yeah, we're a subscription box or we're a software subscription. And, you know, so we need account updater. They can plug in, I don't know, thousands, millions. I mean, I don't think they do millions. That would get caught. But they can add a lot of card numbers and say, hey, these are all the card numbers from our last payment processor. We just want to add this on account updater so that when those cards have a new card number, you let us know. And this is a service that does help a lot of consumers too. However, it has been, it can be manipulated and exploited just like anything. You know, from the consumer perspective, think of your favorite streaming service or maybe the biggest one. I know the payments team and a few of them, so I'm not going to name them so they don't think I'm saying anything that they've shared with me in confidence. Uh, this is just very common, even as a consumer, I've noticed this. So think of your favorite streaming service. The last time you got a new card number, for the card that you have on file with that streaming service. Did they ever send you a note or a push notification or an email or a text saying, hey, we need you to update your card? Chances are they haven't. I know that with one of the streaming services, I don't think I've given them my card, a new card number in years because they get it through account updater. It's very profitable for them and it's easy for me. Half of the, maybe a little less than half sometimes, but most of the things that I'm signed up for that I subscribe to I don't want to, and that's one of the reasons why I sometimes hesitate to get a new card number is because I'm like, oh, then we have to go to every site and try to remember who has it and I'll get all these emails and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, that's what everyone says. It helped. It also helps the merchants, obviously, not lose that revenue. And sometimes it can lead to chargebacks because some consumers just turn off their card because they are hoping that those companies won't charge them anymore. But the whole thing with account updater is the agreement with the issuers and the way it's supposed to work is that they're only sending updated card numbers out into the network if the card was not updated due to fraud. So, you know, the issuers are entering reason codes for why a new card number is issued. When the card new num card number is issued due to fraud, those theoretically don't go to the account updater program. Essentially, it's not that high tech. So basically just assume it's like a picture as like a CSV file. So um, maybe it's all encrypted and everything, but it's really not, it hasn't been redone in decades. Issuers are sending those out and some are daily, some are weekly, some are monthly. It really depends on the issuer, but they're sending them out to the card brand, to the center hub of the payment network. And merchants that sign up for account updater can either do it proactively where they're sending all of the card numbers in their database for their of customers out to the account updater system to find out which ones have been changed and then pull those back and update them and bill all the cards. That can be very expensive because you're paying, depending on the size of your company, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 cents, sometimes more for each card number that you send out to get checked. So the way other merchants do it is they wait until there's a decline on a card. And as long as they aren't getting the decline message of canceled due to fraud, then they will initiate those, go out to card updater and account updater and get that. Most issuers enroll in it. Most merchants with recurring payments also enroll in it. But because you can get some bad actors, some merchants into that system and their acquirer is going to go out and say, hey, do you have any of these card numbers? 
There's no way for an issuer to say, wait, don't send it to this company or that company, especially if that company's never actually charged the card before. They're not going to know which one because that merchant may have told their processor, hey, we have to upload these because they were from our last merchant account, but that's shit. So like they're just doing it, you know, they just have a fresh list of dead cards that they want to see if they can get the new number this way. It happens. I'm not going to say it happens all the time. But it can happen. And if issuers aren't flagging all of the card numbers that are canceled due to fraud in the right way, then that's how you can start hearing from people from the same issuer saying, wait, I'm on my fourth card from this bank in the last month, like that person that another fraud fighter works with. And apparently in that Slack channel or that Slack thread, three or four other coworkers chimed in and said the same thing had happened to them in the last month. So that's what makes me think that could be the issue. I'm not outing that bank on the podcast or anything. It's just something to be aware of if you're starting to have customers claim that. It can also be an issue for you know, card on file merchants, even if you don't have subscription. Because again, your customers have to re-enter their card number. And sometimes they're like, oh, that's right. I got a new card number. Oh, I don't feel like completing the purchase because I have to go get it out of my purse downstairs. So it you know inhibits sales, but that's why we never want that to happen. And it, it also, those issued banks are losing trust with their customers. Unfortunately, sometimes customers are going to blame the merchant, but banks, you guys have a responsibility too. Because at some point, kind of like what, you know, Ayala and I were talking about on Tuesday, like at some point, your customers are going to say, wait, are you the common denominator? Or you're not keeping me safe. And I'm expecting you to make sure that my card doesn't get stolen. And if I were a pessimistic person or a cynical who had been on the card not present side for most of their career, just hypothetically, if I was, I could say, well, banks may not really be motivated to change their algorithm within the Montana or the Loon algorithm for new card numbers to update. They may not be motivated to ensure that the right card numbers are being sent to account updater because most, if not all of the time, those card numbers aren't actual cards. And because of EMV and all that in the U.S. and in that EMV has been in Europe forever, you know, it's not our liability. And so maybe we're not motivated to change. That's just hypothetically, if I was a cynical person who's been on the merchant side for most of my career. I don't want to keep things too bad either, but that's just a way from my perspective, it's are they motivated? I don't know. So those are some of the ways that it can happen. I think especially those last two ways are probably the most common for in bulk. Uh, I mean, POS systems with malware and things like that can be, but really what you're probably seeing is either, you know, fraudsters that have figured out the math equation on, oh, we know this bank. We know exactly how to figure out what the new number is. So we'll hold, you know, we'll do the math. We'll hold onto it for a few weeks and then hit it again. And especially if they are bins that have high limits on them, then those will be the most popular for sure. The other way obviously is someone signs up or many people sign up for several merchant accounts. They load up hundreds of thousands of credit card numbers, you know, to be enrolled in account updater. And they don't care if it's 50 cents a pop because probably not their money in their bank account being deducted. Uh, Actually, it's being deducted from the transactions that are settled most of the time. So it's just coming out of the money that they get from committing fraud and reissuing those, charging those new card numbers. So again, not their money. I hope that was fascinating to you guys and not too nerdy. I'm not really a math nerd either, but I'll tell you, I went through, I think I've said this before, but the six months of training or six weeks, I think 
I don't know, it felt like six months, but I think it was six weeks. I need to ask the one that worked there with me because I'm still friends with them. But when I worked for Bank of America Merchant Services, and it was only for a short time because I got pregnant and had a really complicated pregnancy, but I'd still went through their six month training, six week. I keep saying months, sorry. I, I want to say, I don't know. It was six weeks or eight weeks. I can't remember. But it was long. Training all about the payment system. I mean, you had to learn everything from how to dissect merchant statements to interchange levels to memorizing the terms and conditions and the rules and regulations for all charges. And a lot of them haven't changed. There's a few things here and there that I'll update my mental computer on when, you know, there's rule changes, significant rule changes. But for the most part, the system and the process has stayed the same. It's antiquated. And like I've said many times before, there was no one sitting around 30 years ago saying, okay, there's this thing called the internet. So we need to come up with a new type of payment system because we're going to have massive amounts of card not present transactions that we currently call Modo, mail order, telephone order, because that's the only way we have CNP transactions now. So as a cardholder, there's not a lot that you can do with the Mod 10 algorithm. There's also a ton of new account updater. You can contact your bank if your card continually gets closed down and verify that your card is not being sent through account updater. Unfortunately, I don't know if a customer service agent would know that. But again, like I said earlier, like all of this is this payment nerd piece comes in handy sometimes for fraud. A lot of times, actually, I highly encourage people to become bilingual in both payments and fraud. I think consider myself very fortunate that I worked for two payment processors before getting into risk more on the call center side. So we really have to know everything to be able to answer questions. And the first payment processor I worked for, I think it was an eight-week training course, and it was in-depth. I learned everything from the history of Visa MasterCard, Amex and Discover, et cetera, to terms and conditions and the rules and regs for chargebacks for card acceptance in person and online. I learned all kinds of stuff there. And then I, I only worked there for a few months in their call center because I got pregnant with my daughter and had a really complicated pregnancy and couldn't work. And so after I had my daughter, about a year and a half later, I started working at the other payment processor that had their operations headquartered in my hometown at the time. Very fortunate. They paid a whole dollar an hour more than the first one, even though the first one was a very big bank. Maybe that's why. Um, so I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, we'll go work there. Well, I went through another six-week training course. So I learned some things the same. So that's part of why I have so many rules and regs and all these things in my head that randomly come into use when people contact me with very random questions. But it's also... Helpful because I can piece all of this together. And then at the second payment processor, my position was a lot more technical. So I also learned how to download credit card terminals and how to you know, figure out what was wrong with them and all of those things. So one time it came in handy and I fixed the credit card terminal at a bar and got my friends and I free drinks for the night. So I was the hero there, but that's about it. Like if the job really wasn't on the cool factor. But that second payment processor is where I started to get really fascinated with risk and befriended the risk department and fascinated with that. And then I applied for a position when it was there and got it and worked for Silicon Valley Bank. And the rest is history because it was all e-com from there. Obviously, some of that translates into banking and stuff like that. But I'm going to end that here. I hope that you know all of that was fascinating for you. But yeah, that's 
one of the reasons why I brought up all the training. That's how I know about the Loon algorithm. I wouldn't expect anyone else to know that. Other random things I would never expect anyone to know. But I hope that was helpful. I hope that if you're at a dinner party sometime or if you go to the dentist and you tell someone what they do, your dental hygienist, what you do, and they say, oh, then you're the person they need to talk to. You can give them a couple of answers, I guess. But also, I think even more if customers are contacting your company and saying that this is happening to them, maybe this will help you diagnose it. I'm ending it there. I hope you guys are having a great week. And I'm really looking forward to you hearing my interview next week. And I will talk to you then. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.